you're listening to episode 364 of the GNU World Order. My name is Klaatu, and in this series right now we're going over every single application installed, every command, every binary object practically, installed on your Slackware system. But what if you're not running Slackware? It's okay. Uh, most of these commands are probably either on your system anyway, because they're very common Unix, uh, Linux commands, or they're easily obtainable from your software repository, so if you're really curious about them, you can go get them and check them out for yourself. We've been covering the AP software set, which is, uh, I guess, the second software series or install series in Slackware after the, the A set. This is the AP set. We've gone through a couple of um, letters of the alphabet. We're in the J section now, and specifically we're on an application called Joe. Joe is... it stands for Joe's Own Editor, and uh, it was written by... I have that information. I had that information here. Let's do a quick look at the uh, slash var slash log slash packages slash Joe dash... and I'll just hit tab. Joseph H. Allen's easy-to-use text editor, similar to WordStar. Okay, so uh, once again, I don't know... Oh, it just says it's Joe text editor. It doesn't say Joe's own editor. I thought it was... I thought it stood for Joe's own editor. Did I make that up? Well, I don't know. Either way... Nope, it is Joe's own editor. If you go to joe-editor.sourceforge.io, you will find a little bit of information about this editor. It's been around since 1988, and it's maintained by uh, its original author, Joseph Allen, plus all the people who send bug reports and feature suggestions and patches to the project. Okay, so apparently this is similar to WordStar, and once again, I've, I've said in the previous episode that I don't I don't know what WordStar is exactly, but I do feel like I've heard of it. One of the features of Joe's editor uh, is, I guess, after the fact that it is like WordStar, which presumably if you know what that is, then maybe that's maybe that's a feature for you. Although according to its website, it also models itself after uh, GNU Emacs uh, in, in some ways. I'm not personally seeing that so much, but then again, I don't know what's WordStar and what's Emacs, so maybe just the fact that it, use a, it uses primarily control-centric, uh, control-key-centric key bindings, maybe that's the Emacs uh, inspiration. So Joe is written in C, and its only dependency is libc, which makes it very easy to compile and install even locally. So if you don't have permission to install a text editor on your server, on a server account or something, or, or on your workstation at, at, at a job. You could probably still compile Joe and install it just to your local home directory, and it would run just fine, because obviously it's going to have access to libc. And if we do an ldd on user slash, uh, slash user slash bin slash Joe, we see that it is uh, using libc, and let me see if there's anything in here that I don't recognize. Well, there's incurses, libincurses, libm, and libutil. So it, it, it seems like it's using a little bit more than just, like, literally libc, um, but I imagine if, if we compiled it from source, we could probably get it down to something even simpler. I know that that has been the case with a couple of the small Emacs clones that I've tried before, that if you, if you configure it, just sort of as is, then you get you know some dependency on uh, incurses. But then if you use an option to 
to to not use in curses, then you can you can uh, compile it with something else or or without that those features. Okay, so let's let's try a couple of things in Joe just to get the the feel for it. So I'll launch Joe and it actually I need to get out of Joe first because I launched it by typing its name into the shell. So I'm just gonna Control C lose changes to this file. Yes. Okay. Cool. There we go. So I'll just run Joe and. Uh, the first thing that you see is, or, or what you see on the screen, and, and this again kind of takes over your your screen as as an application with a a TUI, a terminal user interface. I guess that's is that what TUI stands for? Now I'm starting to doubt that. Anyway, you see um, you, your your terminal sort of becomes the application, and so you, uh, in this case we have a top bar which uh, for some reason has the letter i in it and then unnamed row 1 column 1 a timestamp and then control k h for help so that's our sort of top menu bar and then at the bottom there's a little message telling me that this is joe's own editor it's version 4.1 which is what shipped with with slackware so this is quite out of date now this is 2015 and joe's own editor uh the r latest release i think was 2018 for for yeah version 4.6 released january 9 2018 i mean it would i guess it would be uh, pretty cr t t uh, trivial to compile that so maybe we should grab that code real quick and give it a go looks like it distributes source code and uh, a windows installer so I'll just obviously grab the source code and I'll save that to my downloads folder. And then in this terminal here, I'll go over to my downloads folder, altar dash dash extract dash dash file joe dash 4.6.tar.gz. That's done. Then I'll change directory into it and I'm just going to assume that it's ready to go. I have no idea. I didn't read anything. Um, I'm going to do a dot slash configure dash dash help and see what it tells me. So it does look that I it looks like that I, I can disable curses, I can disable term cap, disable support for large files, and a couple of other things. So let's do a configure dot slash configure disable curses dash dash disable term cap. I probably need one or the other. It's probably not going to to succeed with this set of of options. But I'm just kind of I'm just curious, really. It actually might work without either of those. And then I'm going to hit make and then we'll um i think we can just try to run it out of the local directory at this point which apparently is in joe i think yep there it is so joe actually i'm going to do an ldd on what i just compiled and the uh, dependencies are indeed a lot fewer here there's libc libutil and libm and no lib in curses so i'll start this one instead let's just do that uh again kind of kind of see this top menu bar doesn't offer help. Oh, down at the bottom now it tells me to help, and it tells me how to quit now. So Control K Q to exit, Control K H to for help. So I'm gonna. I've already done this before, but uh, I'm gonna hit Control K H because that's presumably what one would do. And it presents a couple of different options for me. There are they're they're divided into columns. So there's a region column, a go to column, a another go-to column, delete, exit, and search. So it's kind of organized by task. And it's telling me, for instance, to to select a region, you do control arrow to select that region. Or you can mark the beginning and the end of a region with control K and then B for begin, or control K and then K for end. Control K, C, move, copies, 
Control K M moves, Control K W file, I don't know what that means, Y for delete, forward slash for filter, and so on. So there's there there are different different ways to interact with this thing. It tells it to you at the top of your screen, and if you start typing, that top panel stays open. So you can you can continue to um you, you can continue to to sort of use you know you can use this thing with a cheat sheet right there on screen which i think is kind of nice i think that's pretty pretty slick actually okay so um to, to get rid of it you can do a control k h to to then to to sort of shrink that that help screen but i'm going to leave it up because that is quite useful so i'll just type um a file here or a, a, some words and i'll just do what I did last time, which is uh, something like this is the GNU World Warrior podcast. It is about Linux and open source technology. There we go. Um, so I've got a two-line file. It's it's not great, but it's it's something. And so I'm gonna um, I'm gonna try what they said, which is Control Arrow to select a, a region, and that works flawlessly. And then it says that I can do a Control km to move the the region now the way that works and this is a little bit funky if you're not used to it is that you so with the region selected you move to the place you want it to go and then you click control km so in other words in there in traditional or in in graphical word processors that we are now used to, and even Emacs for that matter, the act of sort of cutting and pasting or cutting and yanking would be you, you make the cut, it disappears, and then you paste it somewhere. In, in this, it never disappears. You, you select it, you select it, and then you move, and, and then it stays selected, and then you move to where you want. You could type stuff, whatever. The selection is still there. And then you do Control K M, and that does the act of cutting it from its original position and then pasting it to wherever your cursor is. So that's one of the things that I would say was was quite different than what you or I would probably be used to, uh, based on you know any number of other um, applications that we we may have tried. Okay, so. Um, there are lots of different ways to manipulate the text as well. So, for instance, you want to delete a character, Control-D. That's uh, pretty similar to, for instance, Emacs. That's not that's not unrecognizable to me. You can also do Control-W to delete the string to either the next punctuation mark or the next white space. You can also do a control O to backwards delete a word, a control J to forward delete the whole line, the, the rest of the line. Um, it does have an undo function. That's really good to know. Uh, and that is control underscore. So that's control shift and then wherever your underscore is located. For me, it's right it's just to the left of the enter key but that's only because i'm using dvorak let's see what else um you can insert files which is great so i'm gonna i'm gonna do a control j control j to get rid of the the lines and then i can do a control k i'm gonna have to look this one up again kr so control k and then the r key and then it just it asks me, okay, well, where's the file that you want to insert? So I can go to my demo folder. I can find my, I think it was jed.txt. Yep, there it is. 
this is a test file. Uh, that's not the file that I thought it was. But anyway, that's fine. That works. Uh, yeah, and so, so it's a simple little text editor. Um, I guess, yeah, important things would be, like, if you want to exit, for instance, that's always a, 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 a task, right, out of these, out of these strange... Control, keyboard controlled applications how do you ever how do you get out of it well you can you can just quit 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 with control c like if you just absolutely need to get out of there control c now it does ask you before just leaving the program do you want to lose the changes to this file that is um that's a little bit rough because i'm used to text editors asking me hey there are unsaved changes do you want to save the changes and you you answer yes or no this is saying hey there are unsaved changes are you okay with not saving the files and if you say yes then you've just lost your changes you say no, then you're saving your changes. That to me seems a little bit backwards. Is it just me? I don't know. Am I even? Am I wrong? Am I thinking of something that's not correct? Let's let's look real quick. Um, let's let's do uh, an open of Joe.txt and change some letters, and then Control X, Control C, save file. Yes or no? Yeah. So. Um, in in Emacs, it asks first if you want to save the file, and then if you're if you're fine with not saving, then it asks you again. Hey, there are unsaved changes in an, in a buffer. Are you sure you want to exit? And then you have to type out the word yes, and then you're gone, gone, gone. In Jove, it just asks you straight up, would you like to throw away all of your changes? Yes or no? And and you have to you you have to have read that message closely. So. Be, be aware of that. I don't know how to open a file in Joe. Full disclosure, no idea. Um, I mean, I know how to open it from a command, you know, from the command Joe. I can just do Joe, dot slash, in this case, Joe, and then to my demo folder, and then to joe.txt. That opens that file in Joe. But I don't know exactly how to then open a different file. I could, I can, I can pull in the contents of another file into this file, but I don't know how to actually leave this file and open a different file. And that doesn't seem to be in the... As far as I can tell, that's not in the help menu, at least not that I'm seeing. Maybe I'm. Maybe it's using terminology that I am not familiar with, um, but in fact, you know what? I think I just found it. Control-K-E for edit, and then we'll go to uh, example.ps.1. Yep, that's it. So, control K E to edit. Just figured that out live on the show. I hope that was exciting, as exciting for you as it was for me. Okay, so there are a couple of different things here um, in Joe uh, that that sort of controls, I guess, properties or configuration a, a little bit. Um, it is control T to bring up a menu from the bottom of the screen. So you hit control T and you get this um, this little sort of, I don't know what to call it, maybe a settings menu would be the best term. So for instance, uh, there are about, if I'm just kind of estimating uh, 16 and then another 12, let's say, so 28 options just kind of in an array at the bottom of the screen. So for instance, right now, overtype is off. If I hit T, overtype mode, is turned on and now I'm I'm in insert mode is what I think most of us would think of it as like if you hit the insert key on your keyboard uh, which you probably don't have if you're on a Mac for instance but it's it's a key that says instead of typing and moving everything after my cursor to the right I'll just type over what's already there so that's 
that's a handy little thing to know about. Uh, you can toggle that on or off with Control T, and and you know you can type T or or whatever. Um, there are other options as well. So for instance, if you hit D w from that menu, uh, from that configuration menu, you can set the, for instance, tab width. Currently it's set to eight. Let's let's set it to four, and then let's pretend like we're typing in some Python. Import Python space or return return, and then let's do I don't know def blah, and then tab, and there's four four blanks over for for that. So Control T is kind of a, a nice thing to know about. You can turn on audible beeps and change the color scheme, set the encoding, look at what kind of file type it's auto detecting. For instance, because I opened up this this old PS this um, uh, example.ps.1, which actually contains a bunch of graph from the graph episodes, it correctly recognizes this as file type trough. And uh, there are all kinds of options here. So so. If, if you're looking to do the, the modifying of your environment, that menu is kind of where you're going to want to look. I, I imagine there are all kinds, of, um, all kinds of configurations that you can insert into, for instance, a JoRC file, um, but I haven't really looked into that all that much. But um, if, you, if you create a .joRC file in your home directory, then Joe looks at that when it opens as your as your um, as your configuration file, and you can do some of that as well from the terminal when you launch when you launch Joe. So, for instance, if you do Joe dash um, let's see uh, Joe dash well beep for instance, um, then then Joe will beep on command errors and when the cursor goes past extremes, or Joe dash light off the block highlighting goes away after any block command if this option is provided. So there's there's stuff that you can add to 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 your editor just when you launch, which I, I, I think is kind of kind of nice sometimes. Um, I, I know I, I used to use that a lot when I was running Emacs in a terminal because you could set things like dash FG for the foreground color, dash BG for the background color, and so on, and C, dash CR for the cursor color, that sort of thing. So that was kind of nice, and I just I think I just had that in my Flux menu, like on the, the command that launched Emacs from Flux produced a, a, an Emacs window that looked one way versus a, a different way. That that you know, if I launched it from somewhere else, then I, I quite liked that. Um, you can set different key maps. You know, if you want to use a different uh, schema for your key bindings and so on. I, I haven't looked into that because I'm not a regular Joe user, so you would have to look into the Joe RC options to see what the syntax for all that stuff would be, um, and I, I just don't know enough about it. I think Joe is great. I honestly do. Um, I, I think that it is a really, really nice little sort of minimal, minimal, um, just tidy little text editor and and that's that's a great thing i will say for instance i'm not a huge fan of nano myself and you know a lot of people are uh, apparently because of i i've heard because of fond memories of pico which i've uh, i think i have actually used pico proper but um nano i've used and i do use it you know i, I use it frequently enough i just i don't find it easy to navigate i don't find it fun to investigate you know when i'm when i'm sitting at a terminal with only nano available and i think 
how do I search for a string in this thing? I, I just can't seem to ever find how to do that. Now I'm saying that aloud and I'm realizing someone's going to hear this and email me and say, it's really not that hard. It is just control W and how could you not know how to do that? And yeah, how can I not know how to do that? I mean, it, it really, it's right there at the bottom of the screen. It's, it's, it's pretty difficult to, to miss, um, arguably. But for some reason, whenever I'm, whenever I'm doing stuff and I'm in a hurry, I, I just can't, I, 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 I can't do it. I can't figure out how to do something in Nano, even though everything's laid out right there at the bottom of the screen. But I, I think what happens is that I get into my Emacs brain and I, I really want Nano to share a lot more than it does with Emacs and it doesn't. And so I get frustrated. That's not Nano's fault. I'm recognizing that. I'm just saying that I think the more an, e an an editor can mimic Emacs for me, sort of the better. And that's not to say that Joe actually mimics Emacs, um, but because a lot of the keyboard shortcuts are kind of, uh, they share a very similar mode, somehow I take comfort in that. So control K, okay, I can get that. That's that's to get me into command mode or whatever. And then I hit some other key, and all I have to do is figure out which other key... I need to hit and that help section right at the top of the screen will tell me what to do so I don't know for, somehow it it feels a little bit better for me than than something like nano for instance doesn't feel quite as good to me as something like uh, Jove J-O-V-E which we'll be talking about very soon here um, or or even as good as Jed which I talked about last time. Um, and, and in fact, to be honest, Joe was not installed on my Slackware system. I had, I had left that one off when I did my, my Slackware install, and I had to install it specifically for this episode so that I could look at it and talk about it. So it, it is not one of those things that I keep around, but I do, I do quite like it. It is, I, I love that it's lightweight. I love that it's easy to configure and make. I think I could definitely see myself, you know, as long as some server out there has, gives me access to a compiler. I can, I, I'm, I'm betting I would be able to compile Joe on that server, which is a fantastic, fantastic thing. And I kind of want to talk about that in relation to, to, to what, to, to this application. Like I, I want to, I want to kind of, I want to look at that for a moment because I think this is really quite important. So there are a lot of, you know, everyone sort of knows famously that there's there's a good number of text editors out there you know what we should have coffee first this is gonna this, i i just realized this is not going to be a short discussion necessarily so let's have coffee and we'll come back and talk about text editors in general and then we'll talk about jove probably and then we'll end the episode and that means in the next episode we'll talk about corn so go get coffee on my signal and then we'll come back ready go <laughs> I've got coffee. I was talking to a friend of mine uh, during a, a game weeks ago now, months ago probably, and he was saying that he had gotten a, well, the name of this device is um, all over the place, but 
and I think I've talked about this before, but in New Zealand, they call it a plunger, which is not what you think it is if you're from America. Um, it's a French press. So if you've ever seen, you know, the, the, it's a glass carafe um, and a pitcher, you know, and then um, a mesh uh, a mesh sort of press that you press down and you put hot water into it and coffee into it and then you, you press the mesh thing down through the glass, uh, down 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 to the bottom of the glass such that the coffee grounds the ground up coffee beans are pushed down to the bottom and held there and then you've just got this infused coffee water which we just call coffee uh, at the top and then you can pour it out into your mug so anyway I, uh, he was talking about this and he said on a whim the other day he had filled up the carafe first with hot water and then put the coffee on top like at the top of the water and i thought well that's not intuitive at all that seems very strange and he agreed that that was not something that seemed to make logical sense at first but he said the results were actually quite good and it was also kind of cool because what happens is so you you fill it up with your your hot water and then you put your ground up coffee on the top and it kind of floats there the coffee ground grinds grounds um they, it just kind of floats at the top of the water and it kind of slowly infuses down, as you would as you would imagine. But then you know, so you you let it you let that sit a little while, like a minute or two or whatever. And then you put your the the mesh press onto it, and you press it down rather you know kind of slowly as you do. Um, and what's really cool is, and this is so trivial, but you, you should try this, is you get to see sort of like, it's almost like a magic trick, like a really cheap magic trick. Because the water below the press is mostly clear, and the water on top of the press is full is coffee. It's like dark, rich, beautiful coffee. And as you press it, you can watch it happen. And it, it's, it is almost like you're just doing one of those, um, what, what are they called? The, the urn, the Earnhardt or the Im, Im, whatever, the Embry, uh, you know, quick change, the, the card quick change where you, where you put your hand over the, the card, you palm it, uh, in such a way that it looks like you're, you're, you're just rubbing the top card and then you, you, you take your hand back over, you continue to, to do the card and then suddenly you take your hand away and the card appears to have changed because, because of how you've done it. So it looks like a quick, a quick change trick, um, that's really, really obvious, but you should try that sometime and it, it actually, it makes fine coffee. I mean, I don't know if it's like better than coffee that i just dump hot water onto beans but uh it, it is good it's quite good and that's what i'm drinking right now so i want to talk about well i said i wanted to talk about text editors to be honest i don't know that it's about text editors as such and it's kind of about open source and you know text editors are rather prolific uh, well, they proliferate in open source. There are a lot of text editors, quite famously. Um, and I think, and, and it's not just text editors, right? There's a lot of stuff out there in open source that, that you can find several instances of. And the fear there is, well, uh, maybe two or three or fourfold here, but one of the fears there is that you've got 20,000 text editors and not a single one that you like. That's kind of, that's that that is an undertone of some of some remarks about how many text editors there are on on Linux just as there are you know that's the same undertone as you hear about desktops on Linux and video editors on Linux and 
audio players on Linux, and whatever else. You know, just everything that you can think of in the open source ecosystem, you, you do come across those people who, who seem to have a problem with the number of choices. Now, that's not always the undertone. Sometimes the sometimes the, the problem is, well, there are too many choices, and I literally am overwhelmed by the number of choices. I do not know which one to settle on, which, by the way, always seemed like a kind of a weird problem to me. I guess I've never really had that problem, um, ever. Like, if, if you, if you, if you present me with 30 different options, I'll, and and I don't know one from the other, and and if without any further information, then I will just make a choice and use that one. Because I mean, generally speaking, if you don't like what you chose, you can probably switch to something else. So I've never really that's never been something that I've been afraid of. I don't get the whole too many choices freeze up experience. I don't know what that is. I'm not I'm not saying that it's not a valid experience to have. I can absolutely imagine the sort of anxiety over oh my gosh you're giving me so many choices you say this maybe you're not telling me which is better than the other or maybe you are but you're just one person what if someone else tells me that something else is better so then what do i choose why is it so difficult just give me one choice tell me what to do stop making me think about this i get that that's that's a valid that's a totally valid complaint um so those are two aspects i guess of the idea of things proliferating within open source and and then the other one that that i was thinking of is this idea of and i've talked about this for sure on this show before but it hasn't it's been a while it, it, the 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 perceived problem here is that it's wasted effort right so you, you you see that joe allen created joe's own editor and you think well why why did he do that why didn't he just go to jed instead and say hey let me help you make Jed better. Or why didn't he go to Emacs? And why isn't he helping out with Emacs? Or, or why didn't he go to you know any other number of of editors and just contribute to their to their project? And it, the idea is that then we would have fewer choices and 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 better sort of creams of the crop. We would have these these editors that are made stronger by by tar- p- p- participation. And we've all we've all thought that from time to time i think because it is it's a natural feeling because we especially as technical uh as geeks you know like as nerds we are we we see a lot many of us see inefficiency and we think well that's bad that needs to be optimized and if we have two programmers working on two separate editors that at the end of the day are basically the same thing except not exactly and neither are exactly what we want Let's just squish them together. Uh, look, if you want a different key binding, that's fine. We'll just have a little toggle somewhere to, you know, a little switch. Dash, dash, Jed versus dash, dash, Joe versus dash, dash, Vim. You know, and then we can just have different key bindings and it'll all kind of work together. But but everyone is working on the same project. And, and that makes sense in a in a way that that would make more sense right and and that's a that's a common a very common problem and and i think it happens a lot when people are very interested in yeah in optimizing and kind of perfecting and polishing open source uh, applications and the problem with all of this stuff is that it doesn't exactly work that way like none of this is exactly it doesn't 
quite captivate or ca- capture rather in encapsulate is the word that I was thinking of um what open source is all about and, and what open source should be all about and I think that especially in in the in the in the way that we've that many of us have been trained our entire lives there is a tendency to want to force things into into a a, a a sort of a, a company or a group and we could say well that's into a brand really and i understand the value of that i totally do i absolutely understand the value of branding 100% i might not be very good at it understand but i do understand the value of it and and, and you know i mean i love opensource.org for instance that's the open source initiative osi if you go to opensource.org you'll find all kinds of great information and you'll find a little logo that they use that somebody created for open source. It's the, it looks like a little, almost a keyhole, almost like a like a, a door key, uh, like a classic old keyhole. Kind of looks like that. And it's a great little brand. It's it, it's attractive. It it is recognizable, I guess. I mean, if you know what it is. I mean, but that's I mean that's the same for everything, right? Any logo doesn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense until you know what it is. But it's good. It's it's easily to reproduce. You know, you can if you're sitting there sketching something out doodling you you could you can do that you could create that a lot better than for instance a penguin uh probably so so i i understand the value of a brand i understand that recognition can help sort of propel something into into uh into into normalcy nor- normalcy but open source obviously is supposed to be a free range and when someone creates something and it it you know, maybe that has cost them very little or nothing to to create the thing, and they think, well, someone else might get some value out of this, and so they put it online for other people to use. I mean, that's all open source is. There is no conspiracy, no Illuminati. Well, I mean, I'm sure there's an Illuminati. Don't worry, I'm not shattering all of your hopes and dreams. But um, not not for open source project management. There's not. This is just, these are, you know, we're all just users and we, we create code or scripts or artwork or whatever else and we post it to the internet in case someone else finds it useful. And we, we wouldn't want to lose that in open source. And so it's, it's invaluable that that happens. And I think it's something that we should not take for granted. And, and I, I was thinking about this, believe it or not, because of because of websites actually. And I kind of realized the other the other day when I was sort of ruminating over this, how how so many things on on the internet now have to be sort of uh they they have to be incorporated essentially, right? I mean, I not not like as legal entities necessarily, although quite often but but so many different things just it, it seems like everyone wants it to be incorporated it, it needs to be a thing that people can sort of can 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 have the illusion that it's never going to go away and that is all it is is an illusion that it will never go away and i feel like that's misplaced trust i feel like if you go to notabug.org and you start using their free git services to manage your source code then then maybe you know yes there's a there's a brand there, sort of. There's an identity, certainly. I mean, it's a, it's a domain. There's no. It's if you look around for it, you're not gonna you're not gonna find a stock symbol that you can invest in. You're not going to you're not gonna hear from from their CEO in weekly emails. And 
And does that mean that it's going to go away someday? Well, yeah, it probably does mean that it's going to go away someday. But then again, believe it or not, GitHub could go away someday. Like, I know that Microsoft owns GitHub, and and Microsoft surely will never go away. And yet, and yet things do go away, right? I mean, there have been so many things, and I've talked about this lots of times in the past. There are so many things that, you know, industries have relied upon, and it was just, it was this thing will never go away, and then suddenly it was gone. I mean, all you have to do is look at Docker, for crying out loud. Docker was a multi-billion dollar company at one point, and I, I believe they even turned down something like, you know, $2 billion. I'm making up numbers now. But they, they, they maybe it was only $60 million. Who knows, right? It was a big number, lots of zeros. They turned it down. They were like, oh, we're worth more than that. And then the, the next the next month, they were getting bought out by someone for for nothing, and and they're barely even a a, a brand now. They're more of a file spec. Uh, the same goes for uh, virtualization technology. That was that was driving the IT industry for a good what ten years, maybe maybe probably longer, honestly. But let's let's call it ten years for for a heyday. And then and now it's all about containers, and nobody wants to hear about virtualization 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 is virtually over people don't care about it so things go away things change and i feel like this this tendency to want things to be solidified and organized and managed it is a very appealing illusion to to succumb to you know and to entertain but it is mostly an illusion most of the time i think uh, i'm not saying you can't you can't adopt it for yourself like it's a fine illusion to have like it's totally fair um sometimes that kind of illusion and that sort of faith in in something is is functional right i mean that works because you you think well cool now i i have this this rock solid foundation upon which i can build a bunch of stuff and i will just defer mitigating it going away until it announces that it's going away and that works for a lot of people most of the time i mean i i i would say that sometimes it doesn't work because sometimes things just go away and and that was that that you got no warning about it but I, I think in technology, very frequently, things are there, and they announce that they're going away, and then you scramble, and you migrate, and then you're fine. So it's a fine illusion to, to, to have. But it's an illusion, and open source does a pretty good job of providing that illusion to people when they need it. You've got brands, you've got big projects, you've got big sponsorships, you've got corporate sponsorships... You've got groups of people who are very reliable, you know, you trust, and so on. But there's also the side of open source where you've got 20,000 text editors, and that's okay. We want that. We want to encourage users to create their own environments, their own tools, their own workflows. That's what drives open source. The illusion of organization and top-down management, that's not what drives open source. The thing that drives open source are the people doing things for each other, for themselves, and sharing it with each other, and just posting it so that other people can use it. We want that. We need that. We want we want the redundancy of text editors. We want the redundancy of distributions. We want all of these things, even when they're inefficient, even when there's duplication of effort happening. It's a it's a very important thing. So that's what I had to say about that, I guess. Now let's talk about Jove. So Jove, as I think I might have mentioned in my previous episode, just kind of offhand, 
Jove is the text editor that I install instead of Vim. In fact, if I do an ls-l right now on user bin vm, nope, uh, user bin vi, it points to Jove right there. Actually, I'm lying to you. Um, in real life, it's pointing to Elvis because apparently I don't do what I just said I do. But on my other computer, I guarantee that's what it would do. that's what it would do. If I was not on my Slackware machine, if I was on my Rel 8 laptop, I promise you, Vim is not installed. Jove is, and because I had to install it manually on there, uh, and it points to Vi points to to Jove. Why do I do that? Well, because I don't like Vim anymore. Um, it's too hard to use on Dvorak keyboards, so I just use Jove. And the nice thing about Jove is that it is uh, Jonathan's own version of Emacs. And it, it, it pretty much stays true to that, to that promise. Um, I mean, until it doesn't. You know, it, there's, always that, there's always that little caveat, right? There's always that little thing where... And, and I said this about Jed, too. You know, it, it's the 80% rule, or the, whatever I said, 90% rule. When, when you just drop down to a text editor real quick to do some really quick edits, then 90% of your Emac experience are, is, do, do, are the, are the keys, are the key commands the same? And, um, and, uh, can I, I don't know, split the screen? You know, something like that. It's it's like really just the bare basics. You just don't need you don't need that much. It's it's really just the stuff that you need to do quickly, which sl- and and they, it slows you down if they're not there. So, for instance, uh, to go to the next line in Jove, it's Control N. To go to the previous one, it's Control P. And of course, I've got my Control key mapped to the caps lock key, so it's a smooth, smooth movement. And if I do that in some a- in some application that does not have control in and P mapped to previous and next, then, you know, I'm opening up, I don't know, a new file, or I'm printing. And that's just, it kills you. It kills me. It's, it's horrible. Uh, it also does uh, control F and B for forward and back, uh, a character. It it does control E for the end of line, control A for the um for the 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 beginning of line, and so on. So there's a bunch of stuff here. Now, just like in Jed, just like in Emacs, there are a bunch of functions. And that's what you're calling. Just like in Jed, just like in Emacs, when you're using these fancy keyboard uh, shortcuts, these functions are what are being executed. So for instance, if I do an Alt X or a Meta X or you know just Escape and then X uh, and then question mark. It, it lists all of the functions available to me. I can hit spacebar to scroll through this list, which messes me up every single time. I try to do either Control N or an arrow key, and that does not work. It has to be spacebar. It does tip me off. It says more at the bottom of the screen, so I, I think this is probably just literally calling the more pager, but I, I always forget. Anyway. Spacebar, and so we're calling, for instance, Control E end dash of dash line. That's what you get when you do Control E. That's how that happens, and you can test it out. You know, as usual, if I type a, a file, uh, um, a sentence here. This is a sentence. Control E, Control E, uh, Control A to beginning, Control E to the end. I'm going to go Control A again to beginning, and then do Alt X and then end dash uh, of line. And sure enough, my cursor gets moved to the end of the line. So it is um, very sort of a direct, you know, if you think, oh, I I would really like for this keyboard shortcut to to perform this function, then all you have to do is find the function, and, and then you can map it 
to that function within Jove. So there's a, a very direct correlation, I guess, between your active user environment and, well, I guess, the you know, sort of the source code of, of your editor, which is refreshing. I quite like that. Uh, Jove, like like all the others, you, you can create a um, Jove or a .jovrc file in your home directory and set all kinds of options. I honestly don't. I could, and it's it's really, it's very Emacs-like, a lot more so than Jed. Well, like, you know, I guess that's not uh, entirely true. I mean, it's, it's not very Emacs-like. It doesn't have a bunch of parentheses. It's not written in Lisp. It's not a list of lists. Um, but it to me, it feels a little bit familiar because you have things like, I mean, so you can see the, the default jovrc in user lib 64 slash jov slash jovrc. And it's pretty well commented. Comments are preceded by a hash symbol. And you've got statements that, for instance, define dash macro space kill dash line. And then a bunch of code telling jove how to make all of that happen. Something simpler, um, bind dash two dash key space, previous dash line, space, control, bracket, bracket, A. That makes the arrow key work on most terminals, apparently. So I don't, the, the, the caret is the control key, and then I guess bracket, bracket, A must be the up arrow, similar, the up arrow code uh, here. But yeah, so, you know, you get the, the sort of the function bind to key, or process dash bind to dash to dash key, or or whatever, and then you've got a function and then the key command that you want to bind that to. That, to me, is a little bit um, Emac, EmacsRC uh, style configuration. And there, there's a bunch of different Jove configuration defaults in in user lib64, Jove, Jove-RC, and then dot something. So there's dot uh, sun, for instance. There's dot uh, vt100. There's dot xterm, and so on. And if you obviously want to uh, edit that, you would cat it into your uh, home directory, uh, into you know a, a file called dot Jove-RC, and then you could go in and kind of modify it uh, as you please. And it, it's not an impossible sort of file to parse. Um, that being said, I, I haven't really done that ever. Uh, I, I generally just use Jove as is because it hits that sort of 80 to 90% functionality mark for me. Close enough to Emacs to make me feel comfortable in it. Doesn't doesn't make me uncomfortable like Vim or Nano. It makes me comfortable. Yes, there are things that are that are missing, and I wouldn't want to spend all day in Jove without a lot more practice. But for those quick edits where I just don't want to have to bother launching an entire thing of Emacs, or I don't have Emacs on that machine and I need to do a quick edit, but but I, I want it to be in a familiar environment, uh, Jove is just kind of my fallback. It is my, it's my go-to. So I, I guess I should have clarified when I said that I replace Vim with Jove. It's not because Jove is at all like Vim. It's because Joe, Jove is lightweight. It's like 150 kilobytes. You know, like the binary itself. After you compile it, you can pop Jove out of your out of the wherever you've compiled it to. SCP it up to a server. It it will probably run, and if not, you can just compile it up on your server, hopefully, if you have a compiler, and then run it, you know, from your home directory. Super lightweight, super easy to use if you're comfortable in Emacs, and that's how I use it, and, and I love it. it. It's a great, great option for me between Jed, Jove, and Micro Emacs, and there are a couple of Micro Emacs out there. I, I feel pretty well covered for those um, 
I want to stay out of nano, I want to stay out of them moments. And those are those are good. Those are great options. I think that's probably all I have to say about Jove. I guess um I guess I could say for instance that there's an apropos command. So if you do mx apropos and then something you know, some some function that you're looking for, or a, I should say a, a functionality that you are looking for. So, for instance, if you're thinking, well, how do I delete something? Then you could do mx apropos delete, and that searches all of the possible functions that would that that may relate to delete, and um, and then you would know what that is. So that's that's pretty useful, I think. Um, and and then, like I say, um. Alt X and then question mark lists literally every function. So between those two, I, I feel like you can frequently kind of um, you can get to what you need. I mean, like for instance, in Emacs, um, if you know global dash linum dash mode, so global dash l i n u m dash mode toggles line numbers on the left border of your window, turns it on or turns it off. I mean, I have that turned on by default in my Emacs RC file. Now, that doesn't exist in Jove, so the, if you if you, if you you search, you know, if you try to execute global-linum-mode, Jove is not going to know what that is. But if you do an Alt-X apropos number, for instance, then you would find number-lines-in-window, and that would turn on your line numbers in Jove. So... There are ways to to sort of, you know, those missing features that you're thinking, oh, I can't do this like I do in Emacs. Just an apropos command generally gets you pretty close. Or it identifies something, you know, that that doesn't exist in Jove. And then you know, well, it's not, you know, if you, if you want that function, you're going to have to, you know, have to pay the price for, for a full Emacs install. Or, or you're going to have to compile Emacs without a bunch of the extra things that you don't want in there, which, you know, I used to do, but it's, it's a big application no matter what, and it gets kind of silly after a while. So having these lightweight alternatives, it's really nice. And that's the end of the J packages in the AP software series. So we're done. We're done with the Js. Next up is going to be the corn shell, but uh, that's next week. So I'll see you at that time. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. Cast. This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as Augcast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at klatu at member.fsf.org. That's klatu at member.fsf, as in free software foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time.
Bob opened his eyes, and everybody agreed that Bob would make good in his new field.